if you're going to go to grad school, cool. But if you don't go to grad school, you still are going to be schooling yourself just as much. And I remember somebody in school told me, he goes, well, I just figured it was either three years of condensed study or like seven to 10 years of sporadic classes here and there that would be, you know, equaling my degree. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algod. And coming up in episode 196, we open up ye old podcast vaults to bring back one of our favorite and most popular interviews with working actress and friend of the podcast, Emily Rose. Emily has a long list of recurring TV credits, was a lead on the sci-fi show Haven for five awesome seasons, and for all you gamers out there, she's the voice of Elena Fisher in the Uncharted trilogy. Yeah? Yeah? In episode 196, (laughs) Emily gives us the play-by-play of how she got her start, why all of us are in grad school for acting, whether we're in a university program or not, and why and how our business is ourselves. Part one of our long-ago but still wisdom-filled chat with Emily and more coming up in episode 196, just four episodes away from the Big 200. So stick around. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines? Be off book for auditions? Explore your character and make stronger choices? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. AJ. Yes, sir. 196 episodes. Oh, yeah. It's happening. It's happening and it's still happening. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of us, man. We just got four episodes to go till the big 200. And we have uh, we have some more info that we can share on that this week. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, do you want to start off with that? Yeah, today? why not? Awesome. So listen up, listeners. Uh, here are some of, but not all of, the details of our 200th episode. So episode 200 of Inside Acting will be live streamed, live recorded at the SAG Foundation, uh, which is the SAG Foundation event, which is inside of the SAG After Building in Los Angeles on June 29th, 2015, uh, beginning at 7 p.m. I'm sure there will be a sort of registration time that happens before that. Um, and we are also going to get an RSVP link out to our listeners uh, soon. We are still shoring up some of the details of, uh, for instance, our guests and whatnot, so they can't actually start RSVPing people until uh, we know that. So the RSVP process will be something we announce later, but we'll be live streaming, live recording this episode with the top brass including the showrunner, multiple executive producers, multiple uh, writers, the composer, and possibly a few other folks for a panel discussion with the top brass of the number one show on sci-fi, Defiance. So we're really excited. Uh, this is very similar in terms of the setup to our uh, 100th episode, except our 100th episode was not necessarily with content creators. It was with the staff of the union for us to ask all of our sort of uniony questions. Yes, I just created a word. Uh, but this is about, this is gonna be with content creators, so we're really excited about that. And then afterwards, that's gonna go until about 8.30. And then afterwards, we're gonna have uh, just a big old party, a big old shindig. We're gonna be partnering up with the LA Actors Tweet Up and having a big old party at the Parlor, which is a place that they've had their uh, tweet ups in the past, but all of those details will be uh, forthcoming. But the parlor, it's a it's a bar and restaurant in Hollywood. <clears throat> We're gonna have sponsors there, some really cool stuff. That all of those details are sort of still coming into place, so I don't want to 
uh, talk about those quite yet, but it is going to be an epic evening of uh, not only recording the episode, but also celebrating the fact that we have arrived. We have arrived at episode 200. So those are some of the details, but uh, the important ones being the date and that the ability to RSCP is forthcoming. And we hope to see all of you at the live stream and at the very least at the party. Come hang out with us and um, just plenty of high fives to go around, I think, is the is the idea. Hell yeah. <laughs> so June 29th, everybody, put it on your calendar. We're excited to see you guys. I also just want to take a quick podcast moment to acknowledge you and Jen for really taking the reins on assembling this whole thing. I, I, I have pretty much just kind of sat back and said awesome cool that sounds great and you guys <laughs> let's have, do that <laughs> yeah and you guys have been doing all the heavy lifting lots of lots and lots of time and energy and um, focus and and emails and text messages and things going back and forth so i, I just want to acknowledge you guys for really putting in the work to make this happen um Aww. it is an Thanks, honor buddy. to be a part of the team with you guys so thank you on behalf Ditto, of our well. listeners thank you so, so your week, now that we got the, the 200 stuff out of the way, everybody's got that on their calendars, right? If you haven't, pause this episode right now, put it in your calendar, 7 p.m., June 29th, actually like 6.30, get there early, and, uh, and then come back. Okay, welcome back. So, AJ, <laughs> you've got a, another diversity showcase. Uh, tell me about this. Yeah, so I've talked about these... Anyone who's a longtime listener of the podcast has heard me talk about these over and over and over again. Uh, NBC does them. ABC does them. They are basically like these showcases of where they they invite ethnically diverse actors to come in and audition just because they're ethnically diverse. I guess it has to do with the network's, you know, uh, commitment to diversity. Um, However... What is interesting about this one is based on the information that I saw when I got the email, it seems as though they're actually going to pick a few people from this uh, submission. It is a, it is a I, I do get to put myself on tape for this submission. <clears throat> it seems like they're going to pick a few people from this and actually stage a showcase. Almost like a, that you would do at the end of your, your, your undergrad or grad program where you invite a bunch of people from the industry, agents, managers, etc., to come and check out your class, yourself, and possibly, you know, uh, get some meetings with these people, right? That's something that's usually, like I said, a, a college thing, but it seems like they're actually going to stage a showcase where they have people act in these scenes that they've provided and... I guess I don't know. Invite people from the network. I don't know. I don't know what the what the situation is. But uh, this is the first time I've seen that that language in the email that I received from my representation. So I'm really interested, in, and also much more excited about the potential of uh, turning in good product here, meaning my my self tape and and booking quote unquote booking this thing. It's not it's not really a job, but like, wouldn't that be cool to actually be participating in a showcase that's not necessarily it's not it's not college yeah associated yeah. you know i just think that would be a really cool thing anyway so <clears throat> two two questions for you number one you've you use the words ethnically diverse and in the past you've used the words ethnically ambiguous so i'm, I'm curious if the, this is just sort of a an emotional intelligence themed question here but is that like a more empowered way to re- re- refer to your sort of um, type? Um, I think they mean two different things. Um, I think ethnically diverse means in the case of this showcase, because it does, you know, it is called the diversity showcase. I think this is about them casting people who aren't necessarily white, white men, white <laughs> men. Say. Yeah. White, I was going to say white men. <laughs> Uh, but I am male, so yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Strike one. Wah, wah. <clears throat> um, it's white, white men, uh, and then ethnic ambiguous is just no one knows what I actually am, and that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is right totally on. fine with me. Cool, man. And then uh, the second question is: Is this the like? Are they just assembling this sort of 
uh, a grouping of actors just to kind of get all these people who can play these kinds of roles in one place? I mean, is this for like convenience sake or what, what is the general purpose of this thing? Well, I think it initially is for the, you know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like an employer saying like, we are an equal opportunity employer. Like, uh, you know, sort of, you know, if you, yeah. if you've ever walked into an Apple store, for instance, Apple has like a huge commitment to diversity. If you walk into an Apple store, you're going to see people of all ages, races, colors, creeds. Uh, you know, I've worked with, uh, I've worked side by side with more transgender people while working at the Apple store than I have anywhere else in my life. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, including any acting gigs or all, all of my acting gigs combined. So, you know, I think that's part of it is uh, a, a showing a commitment to diversity. And then the other aspect is, yeah, maybe you find someone. Maybe you find a, a little diamond in the rough. Maybe you find someone who can fit into um, the shows that you're currently developing producing huh. casting shooting etc interesting and and last question for you is this going to cost you money of any kind no there's no there's no money involved and like i said this is the first time where they where there has been any language referring to an actual event an actual like live perform everything else has just been an in person or on tape audition of some general scene that i just submitted or 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 went to and then that was it uh-huh. It, there was nothing additional to that. And then, you know, if I got another audition as a result of that, great. Um, I think that's only happened once. And this will be like my sixth or seventh diversity showcase. Okay. So the, the, the idea of them actually putting together an event really excites me. It makes me want something to come of this just that much more. <laughs> well, that's a great that's a great sign, man. If you're stoked about it, then. Yeah, and I, I went through all the scenes, and I picked out the one that I think is you know right for me, and um, I'm getting some coaching on it later on this afternoon, So, and then putting it on tape uh, uh, tomorrow. And yes, shout out yes. to IAP members Matt Bailey and Michael Pauly for helping out with that. Uh, one of them is going to act in the scene with me, and the other one's going to direct. Yes, 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 <clears throat> yes. So making it, it. All, making it all happen, making uh, it all happen. Right on, dude. Now on the outline here, you also wrote, "Should I take this other slash uh, audition slash meeting?" Is there a conflict of some kind with this showcase? It's not. A, no, it's not a, a conflict, and it actually doesn't have anything to do with the the showcase. It's just another uh, meeting that came through. Actually, I think this morning I got the email. Um, it's for a musical at a regional theater somewhere in Maine, in the middle of nowhere, and and. Uh, ordinarily I would have just said no nah, I'm not really interested because something I haven't talked about on the podcast a lot lately is I'm, I really want to start shifting my focus um, away from theater and toward film and television mm. um, and so doing a regional theater thing isn't necessarily something that I, I would ordinarily be interested in so I was about to hit reply to my reps and say like oh, I'll pass and then I noticed that the director the, the person directing this, this show is going to be Hunter Foster who anyone who's a musical theater fan knows as not only Sutton Foster's brother, but um, I'm sh- I don't know if he's won a Tony, but he's been nominated and he was like the lead in, in the original production of Urine Town, and he's been wow. in a ton, wow. a ton of stuff on Broadway. So he's really well known, and I'm like, oh my god, like a chance to work with Hunter Foster, like that would be amazing. But is the rest of the, you know, the stuff that comes along with that sort of worth it to go and because you never know. It's one of those things like. Who knows who's going to, because he's directing it, who knows who's going to go out to Maine to go see it. Right. And if someone does and they're like, oh, who's that kid? Uh, you know, let, I, I would like to cast him in my thing or whatever. Uh, as opposed to saying like, no, you know what? I don't want to spend, you know, two months or six weeks or whatever it is in Maine when I could be focused on doing, you know, uh, things that would support me in my film and television career. So it, it's right. just a, I'm just in the question, and and I I don't know I find those kinds of discussions to be some of the greatest learning opportunities, which is why I like bringing up the the conundrums, if you will, mm-hmm. on the podcast. Well, a great <clears throat> problem to have. Okay, cool, man. I have to know. I have to know what was it like playing the Terminator for two three days? Oh, it was great. It was awesome. It was really really great. 
I'll, I'll be sh- brief with this because I know we've got to move on. And um, you, your photos and videos were incredible. By yeah, the way. it's pretty like, cool, man. It is pretty, pretty cool. We remade uh, a couple of the shots from the movie, and like you know, we pulled up like the actual YouTube clips, and we lit them exactly the same, and we framed them exactly the same, except. I was in there instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was pretty, uh, you know, pretty cool. It was just, you know, it was like a, I, I grew up watching the Terminator movies. I watched Terminator 2 probably like 15 or 16 times, not even exaggerating. I wore out the VHS tape. I bought it on pay-per-view when I was a kid, taped it, and then watched it over and over for like five years. So I had a lot of fun. There was a little dance sequence in there with this great um, dancer that played Sarah Connor. Her name's uh, Morgan. Uh, Morgan Larson is her name, and she uh, was on So You Think You Can Dance for a few rounds before she kind of, she got voted off. But, you know, like, just getting on that show is is awesome. Yeah, And she wow. also, uh, I think, has done some choreography for Dancing with, dances with the, no, Dancing with the Stars. So she was no joke. Uh, we shot on a red camera at the YouTube space. It was great. And That's I have so to, cool, I have man. to say, just sort of my takeaway from this, because I like to sort of, you know, on this podcast, it's all about sort of like, this was cool. Okay, what did it take from us? What's the take? Yeah, absolutely. What's, what's the of lesson? Course. Well, this experience combined with uh, getting a last-minute call from my agent to help support uh, another actor on the agency roster in putting herself on tape, sort of last-minute for this this show in New York as a recurring uh, uh, role on the show. Um, I, I, I did that and I kind of coached her through a few different takes and we recorded it and I helped her, you know, edit it down and we, we sent it off. Just those two experiences last week combined, shooting this music video as a Terminator, being on set with these really talented people and then working with this actress to get the best performance out of her. I have to kind of give a little hat tip to our masterminds group with this because they really helped me kind of crystallize this, this thought. But, um... I realized that, you know, fuck it. I can own this. I am a professional. I really am. And I believe it. And I've experienced it now. And I've lived it. And when I was on the set, it was just pure joy from everybody from start to finish. It was fun. It was professional. It was it was moving along quickly. You know, we really got in there and got it done. And every I felt like wherever I went that this last week with whatever I did career-wise there was just professionalism present and I got to just sort of own that. Hey, you know what? I was there too. Coincidence. I think not, you know, it just, it felt good to be an ownership of that. So I just wanted to say sort of as part of the lesson is just like when you are an ownership of whatever it is that you're bringing to the table, it can be a really powerful thing. And, uh, and I got there, man, I I really felt it and lived it and believe it now. And it's just a good feeling. I, I feel great about heading into the rest of my life having experienced the sort of like, hey, you know, when Trevor shows up, it's a professional, fun set. Are you saying all this because there was a conversation in your head about not being a professional before this week? Yeah. And thank you for that question. That's a really good question. And yeah, I I think there was, man. I've, it's been a long time since I was on uh, a set or a project or in a rehearsal or something where I felt like I was a driving force. Um, and it's not because of any sort of external feedback. It's not like anybody was like, Trevor's so unprofessional and I like overheard them or something. It was just a sort of internal sort of come from. And I guess when I think about it, the past few projects I've worked on, the feedback I've gotten is great. <clears throat> and they've been really wonderful, pleasant, fun experiences. And I've done what I feel is, you know, great work. But it took this week to just sort of drill it into my head. And I just kind of realized, you know what? This is like the fifth time in a row that this has happened, and I get to own this. And it's not like an arrogance thing or an ego thing. It's not coming from a place of, like, better than or anything like that. It's more just like a knowledge that just, like, I'm committed to excellence, and I know how to bring it. And I can bring it. I have the experience now to back everything up. And it feel it just feels good, man. I mean, there's always more to learn. There's always another level to get to, and there's always things that um, you know I'm gonna feel new at. But I've been around the block a few times now, and I, f- I just feel great about what I can create from a sort of atmospheric vibe uh, on a set or in a rehearsal for a for a show. Yeah, I, I so I guess to sum up, you were basically telling yourself an unhelpful story before 
and 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 now you you're you feel empowered to tell yourself the story that you are a a, a professional and that you bring the level of professionalism necessary to essentially create amazing content to a set or a group of people or a meeting or what have you. Yeah, I I guess I would say that I I think that the feedback finally broke the conversation. Uh, And I finally was in a place where I could be in ownership of it. So yeah, I I let go of the old story and embraced the new one. That's incredible, uh, man. Because I I, got to say, as someone who has worked with you in various capacities now not just the podcast but you know we've been, we've done a lot of stuff together including you know the, the los angeles theater ensemble and doing plays together and yeah. i've never i have never once questioned your uh professionalism talent uh what you bring to a set a character um you 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 have an incredible work ethic i remember you know I remember you handwriting your lines when we would work on the war cycle stuff so that you could memorize them easier. Uh, you know, things like that, just like little things here and there. And also just the energy you bring to the process. I, 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 I don't know. I, I never questioned that. And I had no idea that you were. So uh, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that kind of bums me out. I didn't realize that, you know, that that unhelpful story was going on. And on the other hand, I'm like, woohoo, you know, it's celebration time. That, that you got to experience what you got to experience this week. Cool. Thank you, man. That that means a lot. And uh, yeah, it, it just feels good to to know it, to really know it now. for this episode of Inside Acting comes uh, in part from VO2GoGo.com. You've heard of these guys before. They are the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for best, best, best VO training. Not one, but four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's V-O, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Uh, all right, sweet. So let's jump into part one of our Redux with Miss Emily Rose, uh, probably one of our most popular and oft-cited uh, po- uh, podcast interviews ever. I think more people write about uh, how much they enjoy this interview than, than any other, and it's because Emily is such a sweet, down-to-earth wisdom about her she's a an old soul and a kind spirit so uh enjoy part one here guys and we'll catch you on the other side Trevor and I are sitting here with uh, someone we're very excited to have on the podcast, uh, a good uh, friend of ours from uh, uh, the days of uh, the early ensemble and um, me going to, to UCLA with uh, with her, uh, Emily Rose. So uh, thanks Hello. for being on the podcast, Emily. Yes, my pleasure. So for those of you who didn't go to UCLA with Emily or <laughs> get a chance to perform with her in the ensemble, um, you may uh, recognize her work on uh, shows like uh, Jericho, ER, Cold Case... Um, brothers and sisters, and um, of course the uh, the Uncharted series of video games, which are awesome, and uh, and most recently uh, Haven on the Sci Fi Channel, right? Good old Sci Fi. Good old Sci Fi. <laughs> Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the show. I like the show. It's good. It's good. So, uh, M, usually what we do, I mean, this is kind of weird for, for me personally to be asking you these questions, but we do like to start at the beginning, kind of like find out sort of where people got their start, what interested them in acting and kind of, um, you know, their story um, in the in the 
early stages of, of their career. So, um, I'll try to make you're it. You're from Seattle, right? Yes, I'm from Seattle, Washington. I'm a Northwest girl. I grew up, you know, in a in a just a in the suburbs. Just great little upbringing, real sweet one. And um, I never thought that I would be acting or an actor for a living. You know, I think I looking back now, I I wanted to do a lot of things, and I think that sort of is reflected in why I'm an actor because I wanted to be an astronaut, I wanted to be a musician, I wanted to be a horseback rider, I wanted to be all these things, and I think being an actor sort of allows you to be all those things. And uh, but I I grew up in Seattle. I did some theater, but I got disillusioned at a really early age because my sister was getting all the parts, and so I said, <laughs> "Screw this! I don't need rejection in my life. I'm just gonna um, be a horseback rider, and she can go do the theater thing." And then uh, it was nearing the end of high school. There was this showcase that came to town, and my mom uh, took me, my brother, and my sister to it, and we all had to read like a a a bit of commercial copy and then they you know say oh we really think that your child has potential for the industry and these are our classes and you can take four weeks of industry classes eight weeks of theatrical and eight weeks of commercial classes and we agreed to let you know my younger brother and my sister do it and then we decided and discovered my mom discovered that um, I could actually work at the school she said, you know, Emily needs a job and she could be a front desk lady. Well, that job, I think, was pretty um, life changing for me because um, I ended up actually being an assistant teacher at this acting school. And I had to watch all of the seminars before I was able to teach and work with the kids. But I ended up uh, assisting these actors that were working in Seattle, uh, commercial theatrical industry classes, learning a lot of stuff at a very young age around 17 and soon when those teachers couldn't make it to school they would ask me to cover the class so I was teaching kids uh four to ten year olds uh acting for the camera so it was around that time that I sort of when it came time to apply for colleges it was what do you want to study my parents were really supportive they said well you should study what you love to do and I said, well, I love theater. I love it. You know, it's either that or become a veterinarian. And I don't want to hurt a horse. I'd like to ride them, but I don't want to hurt them. And I'm not very good at biology or math. So I looked for schools that um, had a good theater program. But I just was so terrified of getting into a big school. Like, I could never have done what you guys did and go to UCLA. I would have freaked out too much. Um, so I went to a smaller school. I studied theater there. The program was really tiny. As I was nearing my... Um, end of my senior year at a small school called Vanguard University down in Orange County, I decided, okay, you know what, if I just leave now and go to, you know, LA and try to make it, I have a bad feeling about that. I don't think I'm going to have any chance at all. Um, because I don't feel like anybody recognizes my school. And I don't feel like I'm as prepared as I need to be. And if I want to do theater for the rest of my life, I'd like to be able to teach it one day. I loved teaching, and I loved to do that at a collegiate level. So I said, I'm just going to try for grad school. I never thought I'd want to do grad school. So I applied for the URTAs, which is University Repertory Theater Auditions. I went up to San Francisco, prepared a two contrasting monologues. I didn't do a Shakespeare like everybody else. I just did a, a funny and a, a comedic and dramatic. Applied, and it's kind of like speed dating for grad schools. You have three minutes to do two, uh, do two contrasting monologues. And then you come back at 4.30 and you get a list of all the schools that are interested in you. I did not expect for really anybody to be interested in me because there were so many people there. And I came back at 4.30 and I had a full sheet of like all the places to go. Like Penn State, Rutgers. Rutgers, UCLA, Cal Arts, all these places. And you go around from room to room and you have 15 minutes just to kind of speed date with them. And uh, one of the instructors at UCLA, April Shanahan, she was in the room and I asked her about, you know, UCLA. And she, I said, so can you tell me about your school? And she's like, well, well UCLA, what more do you want to know? <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, yeah. uh, that sounds like April. Well, that sounds I, like April. I don't really know if I like your attitude, <laughs> uh, but April's really sweet. And she said, listen, I really, I like you. And if you're close by, I'd love for you to read for the head of our department, Mel Shapiro. 
So I came up and there was a, a guy there named Brian Kite, who's one of the directors in our program. Brian's great. He's still, I adore him. He's fantastic. He's the artistic director of uh, La, uh, La, La Mirada Playhouse now. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. great. And, um, and he said, you know, you should come. And Mel told me, he's like, well, we're not going to give you a condo on the beach. You either want to come here or you don't. We'd like to have you. And as I was flying, I think, to Chicago to check out a school there, I landed. And as I was landing, I, I remember, I think I was even praying. I was like, should I go somewhere else? Or I love L.A. I'd love to stay here. This is where it's at. And as I was landing, I got a phone call from Mel Shapiro saying I'd been accepted into the program. And I think only 12 people get accepted every year. That was mind-blowing to me. And I was super excited. I accepted and came up and studied for three years at UCLA. Met you, met the wonderful people with the ensemble, which was another brave thing for me to do. I remember the first year I was at UCLA, I was so intimidated of everybody else and how cool everybody was and what a big university it was that I literally would take my laptop that I bought with a university loan for like $60 a month, my first Mac I ever had. And I'd sit in the sculpture garden and watch Felicity because <laughs> because I loved Carrie Russell and I love Felicity and it just made me feel show. like home. Everybody else would go down to the bars and I'd be sitting in the sculpture garden watching Felicity. Such um, a good show. Yeah. Um, so that's I, st- the studying part of it. Yeah. I want to, and I, and I, I definitely wanted to ask you about that because we have a lot, this has been a conversation that's come up multiple times on the podcast and because you went that route, I wanted to get your opinion or uh, sort of viewpoint on the whole thing because we have people asking us like, should I go to school? Should I go to grad school? Should I just come out and move out to LA or New York and just dive right in? And we've had um, I don't want to say debates, but like such various varying opinions on this on this subject. Uh, people saying, you know, just come straight out to L.A. because your youth is such a asset or, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> if you don't feel ready, you should go get more training. And I just wanted to know, since you made those choices, you decided to uh, not only study theater in undergrad, but then continue your education in grad school. I, I'm curious um, to know what was it that ma- that that brought you to those decisions? Well, I, I definitely think there is something to be said about the whole youth thing. Of course, I, I look at some people that I really admire their acting work, and they started really young here and just pounded the pavement for a really long time. Um, that being said, I was recruited from Seattle to come down with a, a top agent down in L.A., um, a top agent, kids agent in LA. And she wanted me to come down to LA just straight out of high school and do pilot season. And Mm -hmm. because I was young and I didn't feel the best about that. I think I could have done that, but I kind of feel like it's, what's that saying? Six dozen eggs in a basket. (laughs) Six and one, half dozen the other. Yes, exactly. Because what I I come down here when I'm young and maybe somebody finds interest in me and maybe it works out and I just you know go on on that and learn as I go along and that could have very well happened um but I I personally felt like I wanted more training I wanted something when I looked at the length of my life and what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life I fe- I personally felt like getting the education open doors for me in other areas so that if this one didn't work out this aspect of my dream didn't work out to actually be doing it that I still was doing something that I loved in another area um which was teaching for you which was teaching for me um however or even just doing films or you know modeling or whatever but you know different aspects of it i think if you want to be in acting you should love all aspects of it like you guys like you know the documentary side and the you know the voice side and all those things um but that being said i went to grad school because i mean it might have been kind of cocky of myself but i thought i'm still gonna look young when i get out of it like i was like i i'll have a young look so i don't i don't feel like i'm losing that when mm-hmm. i get out of grad school so i felt safe i was like i'm going to do it right now i'm not going to you know allow kids or a marriage or anything to get interrupt in you know that time of studying i'm just going to go and get it done so you know i was like 7 years let's knock it out <laughs> you know um because i felt like i'd still have my youth as an asset when i got out but i definitely think there's something to be said i think you know if you're going to go to grad school, 
cool. But if you don't go to grad school, you still are going to be schooling yourself just as much. And I remember somebody in school told me, he goes, well, I just figured it was either three years of condensed study or like seven to 10 years of sporadic classes here and there that Mm -hmm. would be, you know, equaling my degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's scary because, you know, you're taking out loans. It's a big risk. Um, But I just felt like it provided me other opportunities if I if I didn't. Um, I think irregardless of what you do, you shouldn't not be educating yourself and being in class because what it did for me was it allowed me to see how talented everyone else was. It inspired me. It made me want to be better. It didn't make me rely on myself, just like being in a show. But, you know, I saw people working every day and I was like, oh, my gosh, they are so talented. Oh, that was really interesting. That was risky. Oh, that's what that means. I had no clue about that. You know, it was just a really good time to be safe and to learn the things that, you know, sometimes if you're here in L.A., it's a lot harder if you're learning them the hard way, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, absolutely. And and then I kind of want to. I almost want to play devil's advocate a little bit and, and, and ask you because I definitely feel that there were a lot of things that the, that a college and I I only did undergrad, but that a college education didn't prepare me for. Mm -hmm. So when like sort of, I don't want to say looking back, but I mean, you know, when you left grad school and you sort of entered into the, um, pounding the pavement part mm-hmm. of your of your career yeah what what did you feel like you learned that you were like oh my I was totally unprepared for this well um you know those are kind of some bigger life lesson things I think that I learned he, the the thing is is I I'm not gonna lie I won the lotto when I went to UCLA like I just did I the way that it the way that people say you're supposed to like get a job, like you go to school and you'd study what you learn and then you get out of school and then you get hired and that's just how you lead life. <laughs> that works that, in every profession that, except for acting. <laughs> that never happens. It happened for me. Yeah. Like it's the way it's not supposed to happen. It happened for me. And I think the key things in that I didn't realize at the time that I was quote unquote networking. I hate calling it that, but I didn't realize at the time that I was connecting myself with other people or that they would believe in me and that in turn would benefit my life. Um, but you know, I think, you know, looking back, of course, on your, on your schooling, there's things that you lack, but there's also, you will never know the benefit of what it was to go to school in Los Angeles, unless you went to school, you know, outside of Los Angeles or what those connections sort of give you. I was so excited to come to grad school and be like, oh, because I didn't choose to go to Yale or Rutgers, I don't have to deal with a move across the country and getting settled and meeting people and learning new, you know, places and getting my bearings so that I feel emotionally sound to go into a new situation. I already had my apartment. I already knew where the streets were. I already knew traffic. I already knew those things about the city because I had lived here for a while. Um, And I was really fortunate because I asked and looked for mentorship. And I looked for somebody that I could kind of talk with, not to use them in any way, but to sit and say, you've gone before me in this industry. What do you think of this? And that person in my life was Gordon Hunt, who was my audition teacher. And um, he's the one that actually continued for me to set up appointments. Now, granted, I was able to go into that room and carry the appointment on with Grace and Style and, you know, continue that relationship. But he helped those doors open, you know, for me personally. So the things that I learned, um, you know, I'd like to say like, well, they didn't quite prepare me for a film and television audition but to be honest with you, Gordon did prepare me for that. He, hmm. We had an audition class in the graduate program, and the way he held auditions and things for us was really telling. And then later, the ability to go sit in an audition room with him, because I asked him to mentor me, I learned so much about auditioning. I watched people, and I was like, oh, that is okay to do. I shouldn't be afraid of that. Oh, that's not okay to do. Do not do that. You know, I learned because I tried to take my education to the next place. Um, So I think the things I didn't learn 
and I didn't factor in was that you come to LA to work somewhere else. <laughs> like you work here, you work here for for guest spots and co-stars and that's great and life is great. That's the best it'll ever be. But if you ever land a series or anything because of the economy right now, you are not working in LA. And mm. if you do, you're even more lucky than the average working actor because you are going to have to move and leave and film somewhere else in the country for probably three months or more. Mm. And how are you going to maintain your life and how are you going to um, hold your person together without the community and the support that you have that you take for granted on a daily basis hmm. when it's you're almost, working 16 hours a day. It's almost like the, uh, the coming to LA uh, problem in reverse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Trevor and I talk about that a lot. Uh, the sort of moving aspect because we have two sides of the coin here. I went to UCLA and just stayed here. And then he came from, you know, across the country. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had that conversation a lot and we get questions about it all the time. And we have people who listen to the podcast who are like, because of you, I'm moving out there. You know, I'm just getting myself, you know, situated and mm -hmm. I'm moving out there in two years or when I graduate from high school or mm -hmm. when I graduate from college or, or whatever. So, um, thank you for sort of bringing up that, that aspect that that brought up something really interesting for me because people who go to Yale or Harvard or Juilliard and they get these amazing degrees in theater then they come to LA and my experience has been that nobody really cares where you went to school mm -hmm. but yeah. you went to UCLA and you got a so like everybody got a great education and UCLA is obviously a great education mm -hmm. but what you have at UCLA or any city that you want to work in is a network of people who are kind of intertwined with the industry who can yeah. kind of give you an in there. Yeah, or just the safety net of you you cannot underestimate the benefit of emotional well-being when you're trying to do an emotional job, hmm. you know? If the rest of your person is not in place, if you're not taking care of yourself in other areas to be this vessel by which you are portraying someone else, um, it's a dangerous situation, you know? If you're strapped for cash, you need the money, you walk into that audition room and you're like, I have to get this job, that seeps out. And if you're not re-channeling that into the character some way, it's so apparent in the room. And so you need to get your mental and your personal well-being in place, you know, mm. um, in order to feel as a confident whole person when you walk in that room. Not only for the audition, but for when you're portraying other characters down the line and they're dysfunctional and messed up and you're living in that for 16 hours a day, you have to be able to allow that not to affect your person. Mm -hmm. And people say like, oh, well, that's so method and they just let that seep into their life. And, and I was always like, yeah, why would you do that? Da, 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 da. Well, I've been portraying this character for three seasons now and I in some ways find myself reacting like her because I'm living like her 16 hours a day. You know, I'm like at a concert the other day at a U2 concert and these people muddy were walking in front of me and I was like, uh, uh, you get behind me. You are not cutting in front of the line and you are going to stay behind. I don't care if you want to go see your friends. You need to go around. I'm like, Emily would never have done that. <laughs> Audrey Parker would do that. And I was oh like, whoa God. there. <laughs> I don't know where this confidence has come from. I'm not quite sure. I need to tone that down, you know? So that's a little rabbit trail, but it does. You need to have that emotional well-being in place in order to mm -hmm. know who you are as a person. What are some things for you that have been key for, for keeping your emotional kind of self separate and stable from these 16-hour um, days? Well, I, um, I probably I have, a really, I have a really great group of friends that I cling to that um, view life the same way I do and that... Um, are really great support, like a really good friends with a family here in Los Angeles. They have kids that keeps you grounded. Not everything's about you. I find that Los Angeles, while amazing and offering a lot of opportunity, it's such a fine line because everybody comes here, not everybody, but a lot of people come here as actors and our business is to promote ourselves. And so when do we stop promoting ourselves, and when do we start serving other people and knowing that that is also a benefit to ourself, but like that it's about more than just us, you know, it's tricky because our business is ourself. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's tough line between like narcissism and your business and just trying to do what you can for your business. So I find to me that like 
just doing things that are not actory help me just kind of be, you know, a normal person. Um, you know, exercise, obviously, as much as I hate it, um, exercise helps having a puppy dog in my little trailer so that when I come back and I'm totally stressed, he's like uber excited. Like I never understood why actresses had Uggs and puppy dogs. I get it now. Okay, (laughs) Just comfort on all, on all levels. I was like, I will not become that girl. I have become that girl. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I journal regularly and I'm kind of a very spiritual person I go to church regularly and things like that so I think those things kind of set me in a different headspace when things get Mm -hmm. a little panicky for me Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily I've had to learn now granted I've gotten I've had a ton of anxiety as a result of my job and I've just had to learn how to deal with that you know Um, but those are some of the things I do and I I just don't think my friends let me get too big for my britches at all (laughs) They're making fun of it constantly. So. <laughs> oh, movie this, star Emily. Yeah, oh. exactly. My grandpa the other day was just like, I knew you before you were a celebrity. <laughs> like, grandpa, I'm not a cool. celebrity. And yes, you did. You changed my diapers. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> That's a good group of friends and a good grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've had this conversation with you before, but I, I really want you to share it with um, our listeners. Um we talked about the showcase at the end of like your UCLA tenure mm-hmm. and you sort of going having the amazing opportunity to like basically hand pick your team that you put together mm-hmm. and i remember talking to you about this whole thing and talking to you about you know what was important to you and the conversations that occurred um, during that time. So I just want you to kind of share your perspective on like putting together like your representation mm-hmm. and sort of what it meant to you um, professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how that kind of like jump started your career post uh, graduation. In addition to the, the sort of Gordon Hunt connection, yeah. which yeah. I know ultimately led to a lot of jobs, including the Uncharted thing, which we can, you know, can right. obviously talk about. Right. But, I, you know, we have a lot, we get a lot of questions about people asking about representation. Should I have an agent and a manager? Should I just have an agent? You yeah. know, wh- what does that, you know, what does that all mean? So you yeah. just talk about it from your point of view, especially right. as somebody who's worked as much as you have. Right. Um, how yeah. that came about. Well, if you remember something, too, that I don't say, tell me. Because the fact that you remember those conversations is a little scary and exciting. Oh, and sorry. scary. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, uh, again, at the end of the showcase, uh, or at the end of the three years, we have a showcase. And we got to have ours at the Geffen Playhouse for the first time, which was really exciting for us because we're linked to the Geffen Playhouse. So, yet we hadn't had a chance to do something there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I remember the other thing that I wanted to put in place, which I think was just God's timing, honestly, with you guys, was um, I was thought to myself, you know what, if people come to the showcase and I do a little three-minute scene, they might want to see more from me, and I don't have any reel or any tape or anything, Mm -hmm. so I should probably be in a play in town somewhere in case Mm -hmm. they want to come see me do something more. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I wasn't looking for it. Um, I talked with Tom and I knew you and I knew the ensemble and how gung-ho they were about getting everybody to come see their shows and I had heard about Wounded and um, I'd heard about the war cycle and um, when I had the opportunity to audition for that I thought you know this this is great this is great to be leaving school and to go do a first play in town you know this is fantastic. I think I was doing headshot photography on the side to earn money in between, as well as yeah. I was a personal assistant. My first, my first headshots, actually, <laughs> were taken by Emily. I was learning at that time, but they helped a lot of people, and they helped me, so it was good for all parties involved. I was also a personal assistant for a psychologist at the time, and going to grad school, and um, teaching. I think I was doing some teaching acting on the weekends. So I had all my odd jobs um, But I was really excited when I got the opportunity to do this play. Not only is it like such a precious moment in time in my life, but it was such a great thing collaboratively um, just to be working and to be like, you know what, regardless of the showcase, I have something else to think about. I have this play that I'm really excited about and I'm excited to put everything into that. So it was another creative outlet for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that worked to my advantage. Um, I was speaking with Gordon 
through our audition class, um, I was asking him a lot of questions, which I think were exciting to him. I was like, what about our finances? Can you bring in a business manager? What about voice? Mm-hmm. What about uh, voice auditioning? <clears throat> and he's like, well, I think that I could bring in some stuff about voice auditioning. <laughs> and so, you know, we did voice auditioning. A lot of these things in my class were things that I was like asking for. You know, they weren't on the syllabus. I said, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do more cold auditions. I'd like to, you know, look at shots. I'd like to do these things. This is what I think we need to know. Um, and I don't know if that was my high school training from teaching industry classes or what that was. But um, so he got our postcards and he was like, you know, my manager, Connie, managed his daughter, Helen Hunt, at the um, back in the day. And he circled my face and he sent it into her and said, hey, I think you should come check this one out. And I don't even know if she had been invited to the showcase by us, but she came and she watched our showcase. She liked me, expressed interest in me. I, and I said, hey, I'm in this play. You should come see this play. So she came and saw the play. And really, her and her partner, Vera, really, really liked me. And um, that play kind of showed that I was able to do more than just kind of be the blonde girl. And um, we, I took meetings with her and another two managers. And... I clicked with the other managers and to be honest, like sometimes I wonder even if I click with Connie, but she, I would go to uh, meetings as a result of the showcase with casting directors at like CBS or ABC because they came to the showcase and they were like, let's do a general. And when I said to somebody, I said, she said, well, who's your management right now? And I said, well, I'm considering Connie Tavel and I'm considering so-and-so. And she was like, if Connie Tabble wants you, take her and run, you know? And I was like, oh, if she's respected this much by the industry, I should just probably take that as a, as a yes. So Connie continued to set up meetings with Gersh, UTA, an agency called Domain that I'm with. Um, I think there was one other one. And Gersh and, or Gersh couldn't come to the play. UTA was able to come to the play. Uh, and Gabrielle from Domain came to the play with her mom. And um, UTA and Gersh were all like, we like you. We think you're great, but you're not SAG. So, you know, call us back when you are. Mm-hmm. And Gabrielle was like, uh, I don't care. You're not SAG. We're going to throw you in rooms and not tell anybody. And someone will Taft-Hartley you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think between, I think it was important to me. I went the manager route first. And this is, again, just what worked for me. I went the manager route first. They were able to open doors with odd, with odd, um, auditions, agencies that they liked working with and had a working relationship with. And so that made life easier for the both of them. I wasn't joining two unknown parties. And, um, and sure enough, Gab was right. I went and auditioned. And whether that was Connie also calling a few people and being like calling in old favors and being like, hey, I have this girl that I think's great and she needs her SAG card. Help, help a sister out. Either way, it worked for everybody. And I ended up getting Taft Hartley. My first job was Smith across from Simon Baker. I got flown to Las Vegas. I remember the first time I got a call sheet slid underneath my hotel door. I was working with um, another uh, Virginia Madsen, Ray Liotta. Uh, you know, it wasn't on the air very long, but for me, I was just like, oh, I was so excited. And I still remember this to that day going, what is happening with my life right now? Hey everyone, welcome back to The Bookends, and like Trevor said, this interview series is definitely one of our personal favorites, but also a, a very popular one amongst our listeners, so I'm really hoping that there are some people who haven't heard it yet, people who picked up the podcast sort of more recently and haven't heard it yet, or perhaps uh, you know some people who did hear it, who are just hearing it anew with a, a new sensibility since the you know couple of years since we actually featured it. Um, but such a cool uh, series and, and, and it was great chat. And, and actually a lot has changed for Emily since we did this interview. So we, we would love to bring her back for a live uh, interview. And I think she'll 
I think we, we can make that happen uh, fairly soon because uh, she's back in Los Angeles. But she has, you know, sci-fi or the, uh, sorry, uh, Haven has ended. She got married and had a kid all since this interview uh, t- took place. So it, a lot has changed for her. And I would really love to get her perspective post all of those events. Yeah, yeah, me too. We, we, we have never interviewed somebody specifically about what it's like to be in this industry as a parent. That's something that has not yet come up, so I can't think of a better person to talk to about that than, than Emily. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. That'd be awesome. awesome. All right, so keep an ear out for that, everybody. <laughs> so, picks of the week. Uh, what the hell is Go Butler? Oh, dude, I'm about to change your life. So, Go Butler, which is at gobutlernow.com, I think is the website, but we'll have it on our website. You can check it out there. Um, it is basically a virtual. Well, it's not even virtual. It's a personal assistant that is free that you can text message. You sign up. You you give them the, your email address. They uh, it's an invite only situation right now. Uh, and by invite only, I mean you just put your email address into the website, and then this you know as soon as a a slot becomes available, they email you. They email you this confirmation code, and you text this confirmation code to the number that they provide, and then a human being. I'm not kidding. An actual person texts you back and basically says, what can I do for you? What? You can, or, you can order food. <laughs> you can order food. You can make travel plans. You can ask them to do research for you. They apparently, according to their website, they are willing to do anything as long as it's not illegal. Uh, and all you have to do is text message them, and it's totally free. How is this free? I'm looking at the website right now. It is gobutlernow.com. <laughs> they organize your groceries, take care of reservations, arrange travel bookings, order food for you, make your appointments. It's a human being on the other side of this thing, and there are no costs, markups, or hidden fees. How is this possible? How does this exist? So I thought the same thing you did. I thought it was too good to be true, so I did some research. Basically, their revenue model is putting the, the, um, the cost back on the businesses as opposed to the consumer. So let's say you are – let's say, Trevor, you own a restaurant in a major market like Los Angeles, right? And you have a relationship with Go Butler. Imagine the – when this – you know, as, as this thing becomes more and more popular, imagine the amount of people – who are going to use the service to get food from your restaurant. Wouldn't you want your restaurant to be the featured Chinese restaurant or the featured hamburger place of gobutler.com so that when you say, so that when someone says, hey, I want a cheese, I want a pizza delivered to my house, they come to your pizza place first. So, so they are actually putting the, 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 the monetary responsibility, if you will, back on the businesses. So the consumer pays nothing. There's no markup. They don't charge you more because you ordered the pizza. It's not like you – like whatever you pay them is exactly what that pizza would have cost. Okay. So, so hypothetically, let's say I want to order a pizza. I, I send a text message to this service and I say I want to order a pizza do they give me a choice of places or do they just go to the the first person that um the first place that they've got on the i'm sure if you said i want the pizza to come from this place they'll do it Uh uh-huh but if you just say like i just want a pizza they might go to one of the you know sort of places that is um uh, a featured like you said a featured place that they have a partnership with this is not this is like siri and a human hybrid well, it's just like weird. I'm just thinking about all of like like we do talk about effectiveness and productivity on the podcast a lot. Just think about like what you could accomplish, you know, if you were like, hey, like I I need, you know, postcard. I, I don't know. I'm thinking of like acting, you know, I'm trying to think of like how this could be applicable to an acting career. And there's just so many different things that 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 it could do i haven't put it through its paces yet really so like i don't know if i you know i i don't think it's possible for me to be like hey can you pick up my headshots from the place and drop them off at my house although they might find a courier that could do that and then i would just pay for the courier but um this is amazing yeah but yeah uh, uh, incredible 
And I, I learned about it from my friend, uh, from our friend, Wes, who asked if he could call his um, assistant Jarvis. So now his, but, his Go Butler is called Jarvis, which I was really jealous about. So I stole the idea and I named mine, uh, I named mine Alfred after uh, uh, Batman's Batman. yeah. butler. So. Well, mine's going to be Jeeves. I'm going to bring it back old school. Oh, ask Jeeves. I'm going to ask Jeeves. Um, this is amazing, dude. I just signed up for the, um, the I don't know, the waiting list, whatever it is. I signed up for it yeah. just now. So I'm, I'm stoked awesome. to check this out. Wow, what a great find. Kick ass, man. Yeah, yeah. So my pick of the week is a book that I've mentioned, I think, twice now. It's going to be my pick of the week for the third time in the history of the podcast because it's that good, that essential. And it's a book called Maximum Achievement by a guy named Brian Tracy. If you are at all involved in this sort of human potential movement, if you read any sort of book that's a how-to book of any kind, you've heard of Brian Tracy. He is one of the sort of bigwigs. He's like up there with Napoleon Hill in terms of like the, the self-help uh, you know, human potential kind of guru people. And this book is so straightforward and it's just, there's just no ambiguity about how to approach your life and your mind and how to, how to sort of take control of your emotions and, and things, not in a weird or scary way. There's no like chanting or anything involved or, but you know, like how to sort of handle yourself so that you are the master of your life and not the slave of your life. And it, it goes a little bit um, in a different direction than some of the emotional intelligence work that you and I have done, AJ, through MITT. It's, it's different than that. It's more granular um, in terms of like setting goals and things and, and sort of programming yourself for success. And I, I've read it several times. I'm rereading it again right now. And in classic Trevor form, I'm discovering things that I've, you know, experienced again and again, but are just now sinking in. And I just, this is like probably the, my number one, if it's like, if somebody said, what book would you recommend to anybody? I would probably recommend this one book. So there's a link on our website, Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy. Um, it is a must have for your personal success library. And if you use the link on our website, I think the podcast gets like three cents. If you, buy, if you buy through that link so yay, yay affiliate links yeah all right so that's that uh listener pick this week comes from annie hayes she recommends a podcast called script script notes and der, 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 two successful hollywood screenwriters john august who i've heard of and has a great uh, website uh, and has written several successful screenplays that have sold and gone on to be, make great movies and craig mazin 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 that guy. Uh, they have a podcast together called Script Notes. It's a wealth of great information about both the craft and business of screenwriting, as well as the film industry in general. Annie says she's listened to each of the 199 episodes multiple times, and she's learned a ton. It's a great resource that will absolutely benefit any aspiring writer. So thank you, Annie, for that. That's sort of a, a, a tag on to the question we responded to uh, one or two episodes ago about script writing resources. I think Eric yeah. Eric wrote in and said, hey, do you, can you guys recommend some books or something like that? And we, we threw out a few suggestions. Here's another great one. Script Notes Podcast. I know I'm going to go uh, subscribe to it today. Yeah. A Annie didn't actually submit this as a uh, listener pick of the week. I slotted it in there um, because she sent it as a response to are, are talking about screenwriting um, and, and all of those resources. So to recap, that is Maximum Achievement. That always makes me feel like it should be Arnold saying it. Like, yeah, Maximum Achievement. <laughs> uh, Go Butler and Script Notes. Wow. It is a powerful combination of right? things if I've ever seen them. Yeah. Get your life together, have someone else do the, 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 the rest of it, and then start writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Shit. Boom. That's it. Sweet. All right. Our member win of the week comes from a longtime uh, member. He's been a member about as long as he's been a listener, William Beaumont, who just, I guess, spent last week just crushing it um, and it being his career. He submitted a film to the Edinburgh International Film Festival, finished the short, finished a draft of a, another short film, booked the lead as an actor in two other short films, and then in a, uh, a week or so, he's going to spend a couple of nights on stage in a sort of Shakespeare medley thing. That all happened in like a matter of a couple of weeks. 
So a big shout out to William Beaumont. Uh, I do want to say, as a sort of tie-in to the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast, one of the things I loved was that he started off this uh, win by saying, I've quieted the critics long enough to to write about my wins and I want to take advantage of it. And he, and then, and then listed all these off. So just, uh, just, it, it's amazing how we're all sort of dealing with, uh, you know, these, these conversations, helpful, unhelpful, or otherwise on a daily basis. And, and, and he said, you know, I quieted the, the critics long enough to, to, to share this. And I just want to, you know, throw him some kudos there. And, and, um, like I said, it's a tie-in to the, the, the empowerment stuff that we like to talk about on the podcast. Congrats, William. That's really awesome. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadala Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. Trevor Algott composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can leave us a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Thanks wink, to wink. our sponsors, Rehearsal2 and VO2GoGo.com, and thanks to you, our listeners. If you love this podcast and you want to maximize its value in your life and career, sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, discounts on merchandise, uh, and other upcoming podcast offerings. It's all inside. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. That's it for episode 196. Four more till 200. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, quiet the critics. Quiet. Quiet. Shut your pie hole. <laughs>